G'day and welcome to Property, Australia's favourite obsession. My name's Jeremy Cowan and I'm your host of this podcast, where together we get to talk about the ins and outs of the property market. See, we all obsess about property because we can't live without it. We all need access to land. We need somewhere to live, somewhere to work, and even somewhere to spend our leisure time. In fact, we don't eat if we can't have access to land, because we need somewhere to physically grow our food, just like we need somewhere to physically stand. We all need to occupy our own personal piece of land. Everybody needs it. And that's what this podcast is all about. Now, I had some really great feedback from last week's episode. So a big thanks and a shout out to those people who got in contact. And what they've asked is if I could keep going back through some of the other episodes, pulling out lessons and pointing out the takeaways from those particular discussions. So we always need to remember when listening to PAFO, Property Australia's favourite obsession, that it's all about our five underlying drivers of property prices, infrastructure, technology, population, credit and government granted licences. That's what it's all about. And that's the common thread that you'll hear throughout the conversations with our guests. Now, when describing PAFO, sometimes I've said that you'll hear interesting and inspiring stories about property, but from people you might not expect and you might not have always thought could relate to property. And Geordie Hill from One Heart is a fantastic example of this. It's an inspiring story about the generosity of land, the story of One Heart, a charitable organisation in Kenya and Ethiopia that uses land as the foundation piece to ensure the continued help and support to underprivileged children. See, One Heart recognises the need for access to land and it's unique in their charitable offering. One Heart is all about the creation of continuous, sustainable social and community improvement by improving and educating the community and providing opportunities through their commercial enterprise. But the whole charitable approach is underpinned by their ownership of land. See, this connection shows both the human connection to property as well as the acknowledgement that the sustainability of their positive influence can only come about by the ownership and control of land. This story shows how everybody needs access to land, that without land, no impact can be made. This was displayed by One Heart's need to engage with tribal elders when trying to obtain the land. Even the selection of land was based upon the five drivers. See, One Heart wanted to access land with exceptional locational advantages. They wanted fertile land and they certainly wanted access to water. Now, One Heart might be about improving human capital and the idea that improved education leads to improved productivity and hence improved standard of living. And education we would see as one of the population drivers. See, improved education helps with both the acquisition and helps the adaptation of more advanced technology, which further drives productive gains, linking another driver into this episode being, of course, technology. The need for access to land is shown through such things as the orphanage and, of course, the commercial enterprises like the bakehouse. There is a social need as well as a commercial need to have access to land. This is an inspiring story, and I'd encourage you all to visit One Heart at https colon forward slash forward slash One Heart, O-N-E-H-E-A-R-T dot foundation for more information or to make a donation. But let's hear of what Geordie's got to say about One Heart. So... 
as a director of the charitable organisation One Heart, mm-hmm. um, in fact, let me say this: the website and One Heart, it, it and, and I quote, it says One Heart empowers the lives of orphaned and abandoned children living in Kenya by providing an education, a family home, and most importantly, love. In turn, mm-hmm. we are seeing whole communities transformed. Can you tell me, Geordie, in a nutshell, what does One Heart mean to you? Oh, what does One Heart mean? I mean, I think there's so many thoughts that literally come from that question. Um, yeah, that question, Jez. But for me, it's about impact and transformational change in the purest sense. And what I mean by that is that a lot of people that I've met on my journey, and I say this very respectfully, I hope it comes out the right way, you meet people that have good intents, good intention, sorry, mm-hmm. um, but they sort of, they get lost. Maybe they just stay too high level and they don't really start to peel back the onion and look at what um, an organisation is actually about. And then if you take that a step further, show me the dynamics, show me the, the roles and responsibilities, show me the cash flow, the profit and loss. When you really start to dig down, that's when you can really see a number of moving aspects in an organisation or a charitable um, component. People will quickly donate to you know, a monthly um, buzz feed that comes out for a particular time of the year. And I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not calling anyone out, but, it's, but if you actually then start to research and understand what that organisation is about, show me tangible results, show me the outcome. I think a lot of people would be surprised, and I don't want to use the word charity because I think there's a lot of misconception with that word, um, but obviously we'll reference that during today's conversation. But, yeah, I just think, you know, the, that, that true transformational change on a, if I can use the word, holistic level um, is something that, you know, we get to be involved with on a, on a daily basis, albeit we are all volunteers, um, and to bring about long-standing um, intergenerational transformational change is a pretty... A pretty powerful thing, and to see genuinely lives that are impacting, not on a superficial level, like oh, we've just given an education scholarship to someone, but you don't know what the end outcome is, even if they're still in, you know, whatever you're trying to impact three years later. So to really be involved at that grassroots level is something that's, um, you know, it's incredible, it's inspiring, it's it's empowering, it's challenging. You know, at the end of the day, there's a lot of um, we see a lot of ugly things over there, Jay. That's the reality of the, the mm. world that we do live in um, and the impact we're having. But, you know, I was asked a little while ago by a very um, successful entrepreneur in, in, in Melbourne. We had dinner one night. I said, mate, why? Why do you do what you do? And without sounding melodramatic, you know, it's almost the, it's almost the opposite question. What if we don't do what we do? Um, so, how did you feel, so, so how did you feel then, Geordie, the first time that you visited Kenya? Oh, it's interesting because it took me a little while in the sense that, and you know, our family just, we had, um, we, we, we struggled for a period of time to have a child and now we've got two beautiful children. But yeah, there was always sort of a, a, a series of events where it actually conspired against me to actually getting over there. So the first, I was passionate, involved, you know, doing fundraising, having a good amount to do here on the domestic front. Um, but I tell you, when, when I actually walked through the gates of one part, um, for the first time and really got to feel and, 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 and get a sense for what, you know, the physical aspect of what we've done. Um, it literally, I'd, I'd almost say, it, it almost took my breath away, you know, to actually just stop, pause and reflect and have a look at the impact that, you know, basically a, a vision with a bit of passion, added a little bit of desire and hunger in there that can actually achieve the world. 
I think it's important probably at this point to draw the connection to land and um, how you approach the land solution. Um, so do you want to maybe explain to listeners how One Heart goes about providing um, the support and the services that they do and what's, you know, what's core to that? Mm, sure. So we, I'll use the word holistic and maybe that gets thrown around a little bit, but for us it's not just taking a child off the street and putting a meal on the table once a day and some clothes on the back. Like we, we genuinely, and I'm going to throw, or I'll incorporate just the word land in there. When we look at a land opportunity, uh, we've got two beautiful plots of land in in, um, in Kenya and one now in Uganda. Um, it really is that holistic view. It really is, you know, the land, as silly as it sounds, is that foundational piece that we can then leverage upon to create a sustainable village or a sustainable community. So for us, really, that in, incorporates um, kindergarten, primary, secondary school. Um, we're in the unique position where we have built actually an award-winning school um, so we, and one of our social enterprises, we generate fees from uh, or income from local fee-paying students. So if you think, and don't quote me exactly on the numbers, but if you think 100 um, children that are now under our full-time legal guardianship and then around three to 400 kindergarten, primary, secondary, local fee-paying students, um, you know, the land component and the ability to build buildings on that is absolutely fundamental. We actually started to see that just based on one, let's call it a 10-acre block of land, uh, and that community or that village, um, which is one heart, I'm not talking about the entire geographic region of the community, but our one heart presence, we actually can hit about five to 6,000 people a year directly through what we do. Now, I want to make it very clear, that's not five to 6,000 orphan children, mm. but it's that whole holistic community aspect. So we actually cast a vision that day, which was pretty daunting, but you know, you need to stretch and, and, and climb the summit you know, each and every day, is that we, through, through this model, we then cast a vision that we want to effectively um, create 15 villages, impacting about 100,000 lives on an annual basis. Um, and the model for us, Jez, is very much to, we've, we've refined the model. It's, again, it's not perfect, but it's, it's, it's very, very strong and it's, we're always tinkering with it to improve it. But then we want to say, let's drop that in Cambodia or let's drop that in a rural part of Vietnam. So long as we've got the right relationships in that, in that country, we effectively then want to have a, a, um, a model that we can then expand upon and replicate, which is a long-winded way to answer where would that extra money go. Um, so we always need capital expenditure, you know, no doubt, because to buy land now in Kenya, as an example, is not cheap. Um, but once you've established the land holding, you've bought that, and then you build out the actual um, infrastructure, um, it then comes down to an operational component. When you throw in the social enterprises and the income-producing aspect of that, that's where we're really comfortable about that we think um, with a strong conviction that we are on the right track. So tell me, could you, could the project work if you didn't own the land, if you were just a leaseholder? No. You could make it work just for a period of time, but, you know, tribal um, environments over there, who knows what could happen. So I'll probably go out on a limb and, and, and confidently say no. We could make it work for a period of time, but, you know, hope is not a good strategy. We hope that a, a ruling party doesn't come in. You know, we can't. We can't rely on that. Um, so fundamental to us is that you know that genuine acquisition of that asset, 
um, that we then hold you know, within the foundation. Braden Kidd is a property manager or a leading agent, as they sometimes are called, from Ashby Partners. And what a fun episode this was. Engaging a letting agent is a very important part about growing your portfolio. See, as a landlord, you have both rights and obligations, as does your tenant. And it's important that you both understand these and engage a professional to represent and advocate for you. There are significant risks that you face as a landlord, but having a letting agent who can recognize, quantify, and help manage many of these risks that you face will add thousands of dollars to your pocket, and hence their ability can have a huge impact on your real estate investment success. Having a tenant destroy your property or having to chase unpaid rent, their ability can have a huge impact on your real estate success. The time and angst that a good property manager can save an investor is almost immeasurable. So do your homework and make sure you get a great agent like Braden, someone who is knowledgeable, personable, and contactable for both you and your tenant, as communication is the key. So let's hear a few words of wisdom from Braden Kidd. Well, I'd like to put it to you that right off the bat, as a property manager, that the role that you have and the the value that you add is the ability and the responsibility of recognizing, quantifying, and managing the most manageable of risks that investors can face. hundred oh, percent. Look, everything from from good tenant selection and looking to the security of the tenants and their positions, be it financial and, and home life, uh, all the way through to preventative maintenance and, and liability issues that we need to pick up on as well. So the, the entire job is just surrounds mitigating that risk to a landlord. Property is a really emotional thing for us as humans. Um, you know, as, as a tenant, they see it as their home, their nest, their you know their family household. And yet, as landlords, it's all about the ownership that you know we've got the rights and the privilege that um, uh, that that ownership gives us. So, I want to ask the question: Who's more emotional to deal with? Is it the tenants who see the property as their home, or is it the landlord who has the power of ownership within the property? Look, I would say that the emotion is split 50-50 between the both. So we as property managers see the best and the worst of people. So during very high stress situations, you know, if a tenant loses their job or something along those lines and and can't afford to to meet the the rental payments all the way through to landlords losing their jobs of the like, uh, especially probably more prevalent in in this current uh, economic climate. Um, You know, we've had to kind of deal and, and... guide through the waters a lot of these issues so uh, emotions can run high so obviously the landlord's got a massive financial interest in in this this one item uh, and, and we've got the tenants that you're right they've got their home there that, that's where they live that's where they feel safe and secure so if there's any upset to any one of those situations we're going to see the, the best and the worst of people so how is it that you would go about determining an appropriate level of rent for a property uh, there's a few things to take into consideration. Um, the, the, most agents that don't go into great detail will just look at what's coming on and off market and what they're, what they're renting for. Um, I tend to go like a layer deeper when we look at the, the most likely demographic who's going to rent the property. We look at their their income, their levels, what their expenditure for rent is, uh, and then you can paint a pretty clear picture. And then you look at the property itself. Uh, 
you know, what are the strong points? What are the weak points? Uh, what are those little things that you've got to try to get around? Um, when you take all those factors into consideration, plus the, you know, the, the results coming on and off market, uh, you can usually paint a pretty clear picture of what it should rent for. Uh, but in there as well, like, you, you know, sometimes you overcook it uh, and, you know, pretty much in the first day that if you've overcooked it, because you don't get a call, you don't get an email inquiry or anything like that. Yep. Uh, and it's just a matter of setting the expectations pretty clearly. What about from a um, a landlord's point of view? You know, uh, managing properties interstate. If I've got a, you know, living in one state and investing in another. Yeah, I think it's important to have somebody on the ground that's at least going to keep like a, a face-to-face eye on the property. Um, like obviously, they, they can only go through the legislated timeframes for for routine inspections and so forth. But it's important to have that engagement with the property itself. Um, and also dealing with things in case of emergency or, or anything along those lines. So like having an agency in Sydney look after a place in Brisbane, I, I don't see how they do that efficiently. Mm. Uh, you can do like a lot of the transaction, um, you know, be it rent receding. You, you can do video routines. You can do, you know, like uh, I think there's some people out there that subcontract the leasing efforts uh, to a local agency but still manage it at state. Uh, and there's agencies out there, like I believe they do it all right, but um, there's a lot of gaps that kind of, appear when, when they're trying to do that. It seems to me, I mean, property at the end of the day is a, is a tangible, um, that as you said, it's important to have someone on the ground to be able to, you know, look, touch, smell, feel, um, you know, to represent as a letting agent. As a landlord, I can understand uh, interstate, um, but as you said, you need to make sure that you engage with a really good letting agent who is going to, um, you know, represent you well on the ground. Yeah, exactly right. And like, I mean, the local agents as well, uh, you know, they have a fairer idea of what's happening in the marketplace. So when it does come time to particularly the part of the transaction where you're, when you're releasing to find new tenants, it's important that you have somebody that actually knows what's going on. Uh, because every single market, even between suburbs and capital cities, like a complete, completely different. So how does property management go wrong? You know, how, um, how does it happen and why? A lot of the time it comes down to communication uh, and that could be you know, from, from a thousand different perspectives. So usually when it goes wrong, it's because something's not being communicated. So there could be an inexperienced property manager that doesn't know how to manage expectations and they might set one party's expectations way too high and they're completely under-deliver, um, you know, by misrepresenting the legislation or, you know, just making promises that they know they can't keep to save a difficult conversation. Um, that's probably the most common thing that I see happen. Uh, other times it's just a complete, you know, just just ignore the issue and hope it goes away yeah. uh, because you have got so much on. Uh, and, and, you know, if you can't effectively manage your time, things are going to slip through the cracks. And look, not, not everyone's perfect, but it depends, I guess, how big of a mistake that is and, and how frequently it happens as to, to whether or not you have any goodwill banked up to fix the issue. But that's really when you see property management go wrong from uh, from like a property manager's perspective. So there you have it, two very different discussions that still centre around property. Geordie and his One Heart charity showing the importance and dependence that we have on access to land. And of course, Braden talking about how as a landlord, we need to make sure that we protect ourselves. Humans, and animals for that matter, have this symbiotic relationship to land or property. We both need it. We must have access to it. And like the animals who will fight to obtain control of the most productive lands, we as humans will bid the price up to own and control the best properties. Always remember the five underlying property drivers when listening to this podcast, infrastructure. How does that relate? 
technology, what's the impact it's having and how will that manifest into the land price? Population, credit and government granted licenses are important drivers. They are the fundamental five drivers of the property market. And this is how, as investors, if we can understand these, we'll make better and more profitable investment decisions. If you have any questions or queries or you'd like some help, feel free to get in contact with us. We'd love to help you on your property journey. Thanks for joining me. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review for Property, Australia's favourite obsession. I've been your host, Jeremy Cownan. And until next time, let's keep obsessing about property. Jeremy Cownan and Cownan & Flack Proprietary Limited are authorised representatives of PGW Financial Services, Proprietary Limited, AFSL 384713. Any opinions or recommendations expressed should be considered general in nature, as they do not consider your personal objectives or financial circumstances. You should therefore consider these matters yourself before deciding whether the advice is appropriate to you and if you should act upon it. Should advice be sought, please seek an appropriately qualified advisor. Investing may not be appropriate for everyone, as there is inherent risk and the possibility of loss when investing in financial assets, just as there is the possibility of profits. While useful for identifying patterns, history and past performance do not guarantee future performance.